0: Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. Also invite you to subscribe to our feed for new episodes, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in, or go right to nationalreview.com, listen, and leave reviews and share with friends. I'm Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by, as always, is Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you?
1: I don't know. I'm doing fine, Scott. You know, I, I'm reflecting on the nature of our collaboration these days. You know, I like to think of it as that, like you know, I write all of the great opinions, but sometimes I give some of them to you to speak.
0: And uh, I'm slightly more attractive. I think is kind of how that works too. You have you
1: have those those charming youthful good looks.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is good. It's, it's I have that in my favor. Jeff on Twitter at esotericcd, and we welcome back a return guest to Political Beats. Uh, He is the executive vice president of Arnold Ventures, a Republican strategist, former advisor to President George W. Bush, Governor Mitt Romney, John Boehner, Tom DeLay. Find him on Twitter at Kevin Madden, D.C. He's Kevin Madden. Kevin, how are you?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. By the way, am I the first return guest?
0: You are not the first return ah, guest, but don't
2: oh, I hate to break it to you. We've had several return
1: guests before you. you know that, that's not a slight on you, but as right. I was telling you before we started the show, the fact that you're even back at all means that you passed the audition with Wilco.
2: Yes, I wanted to be pioneering in the way that the cars are pioneering uh, in
0: music. Something like that, sure. Uh, As Jeff mentioned, you can find Kevin on an old episode as we celebrate the catalog of Wilco. And as Kevin just mentioned, he's back today to take on the cars. Before we get to the cars, Kevin, if you would, please give people who have not heard our Wilco episode a little bit of background on yourself.
2: Uh, Long time Republican operative uh, came to Washington, D.C. to work up on Capitol Hill and um, ended up working for, as you mentioned earlier, um, President uh, George W. Bush's reelection campaign, then spent some time working up in the House Republican leadership leadership. And then went up to Boston, the cold winters of Boston, the work for Governor Romney and his campaign in 2008, returned to help him in 2012, Uh, then came back to Washington, D.C., helped uh, run a uh, consulting firm with some friends called Hamilton Place Strategies. And now I'm overworking as director of advocacy over at a foundation, uh, Arnold Ventures.
0: And uh, we we are taping this today just days after the death of Rick Ocasek at, we believe, the age of 75, but that is not crystal clear. And uh, as I mentioned uh, on Twitter, because political beats can move fast when we want to, we're doing The Cars today with Kevin Madden. So, Kevin... moving in stereo. Kevin, the floor is yours to uh, first tell us uh, why you love The Cars, how you got into them, and why people should care about this music from The Cars.
2: Well... The Cars were one of the bigger bands that defined the sound of an era when I first became aware of music and you know it's it's interesting how interesting how certain bands and sounds and songs essentially become the soundtrack of your life and the Cars were a big part of that soundtrack in the early 80s era that I grew up in. So uh obviously um more of the 80s since I was born in 1972 but I still remember my older cousins and a lot of the older kids from the neighborhood playing the cars on the boombox of the car or, you know, the, the radio back when people were actually still trafficking in mixtapes and the radio was how you heard about new music. And, um, you know, I know one of the reasons that we're doing this is Rick Ocasek's very recent passing. But Rick Ocasek is a huge reason why people love the cars. Um, They are uh, they're all talented musicians and songwriters. But O'Kasic was just he he was such an icon of the 80s music scene. And um, I mean this in the best way. You know, OK, was a was a very weird looking dude. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But he just seemed so cool because he embraced uh, his weirdness. And, you know, back then, um, the sunglasses, the leather pants, the crazy hair, like it all really worked because as great as that was, he just had this talent for writing really great lyrics with these phenomenal hooks and these very memorable melodies that just made people feel good.
1: one of the things the dangers of of being so good and so played on the radio is that your music can ultimately end up perishing through absorption which is to say that it becomes so folded into the fabric of like classic rock radio that people forget that you were a band that had albums that had singles that had a career and had a real trajectory and a project you know a progression which is exactly what i think has happened to the cars now the cars you know we we think of them as like oh yeah there's those five radio hits of course when you start off you say five radio hits and you think well no no, no there's six radio hits seven eight nine before you know it, you realize there are like twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen twenty songs of theirs that you actually know because almost everything they did in their first four albums got radio play in one form or another and of course that's how I first encountered them too my we my my um. You know, I was born in 1980. Obviously, I'm a little younger than, than Kevin is, but, uh, my dad had a copy of Heartbeat City, and he also was a fan, as I've mentioned in past episodes, of taping you know, music videos off of you know, ABC and CBS, late night mu- music videos. Uh, and so what was my first exposure to the cars? Of course, it's You Might Think from Heartbeat City, with the, that crazy video. If you go back and look into it, it's like the worst computer graphics you've ever seen. <laughs> and yet it
0: beat, it beat Thriller for the first MTV Video Music Award.
1: It's a great video. Yeah. That's the funny thing. You go back and you look at it. and like, First of all, Rico Kasich is a creepy stalker who's invading this woman's private space in every conceivable way. But it's funny. It's got the references to, like, you know, Robot Monster and King Kong and, like, The Fly and all these, like, weird, like, bizarre sci-fi things. And then there's Rico Kasich just looking like he does, which is, you know, upsetting enough in its own right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a really great, funny pop song. And then from then on, I heard it. And then, of course, they kept popping up in every other part of your life. You'd turn on the radio, you'd hear just what I needed. You you went to watch the movies when your parents were not home, and so you had that that copy of Fast Times at Ridgemont High that your parents would have never let you watch if they had known that you were watching it. And you saw a movie in stereo, perhaps in one of the most memorable scenes set to music of the early 1980s. The cars kept coming through. But the thing what I meant when I said that there's a danger of perishing through absorption, is that to have all these iconic moments that you almost forget that these albums all hold up to their first five albums, uh, the the progression from um, the Cars, the debut album, the Heartbeat City. There's really, you know, there are some dips, I would argue, but there's a huge consistency in what they do. And I always I was amused. I went back later on in life and I checked out what my favorite rock critic, Robert Christgau, said about them. And he was always a little bit perplexed by them. He couldn't wrap his brain around them because he was like, this is just really great pop music. It's not striving for deep-cutting social commentary. It's not like trying to make big, you know, grand social statements. It's just sm- Smart and clever and funny. And then eventually, by the time around 1984, he threw his hands up in the air and he said, You know what? I'm just glad that there's something like this that exists. I'm glad that there's still space for this kind of music. There isn't really space for this kind of music anymore, which is why it's almost. Sad, uh, but also pretty predictable that Rick Ocasek's passing is an occasion for people to remember what a great band the cars actually were and how consistent and how consistently fun and listenable they were. Um, I guess the last thing I want to mention about them is how they were also deceptively old, which mm. I find hilarious. <laughs> we think of rock, especially the new wave, the punk, the post-punk scene in the late 70s as a young man's game. This is you know for the youth. These kids are all in their you know, early 20s, you know, 18, 19 years old, playing in their garages. Rico Kasich was 34 years old when the Cars debut album came out. Benjamin Orr, who was his bass player and also the co lead singer of that band, um, he was 31. These were old men relative to the rest of the (laughs) genre, which is one of the reasons why no one's entirely sure how old Rick Okasic actually is now that he's passed away because they always lied about his age back in the day because they didn't want people to realize that, like, it kind of reminded me of like the police, you know, like Andy Summers was Mm -hmm. like 35 years old too when the police's debut album came out. Same basic idea going on there. But, uh, you know what? Sometimes it's good to be a wily old man in a young man's game because it means you have more intelligent things to say. better music to put out and boy that sure comes through with this band
3: she tricks me into thinking I can't believe my eyes I wait for her forever but she.
0: Much uh, much like Jeff, my first exposure to the Cars was twofold. Yes, the You Might Think video, and my dad had a copy of Heartbeat City on vinyl. He had three around that time that were like the core of my first listening. Sports from Huey Lewis, and Synchronicity from the Police, and then Heartbeat City from the Cars, with that wild uh cover that kind of stretched around the the gatefold uh so to speak and then uh, years later or at least a couple of years later of course you're inundated with the the cars on on classic rock uh radio and um, I've always really liked the Cars and have gone back many times. I had the Greatest Hits album and uh, most of their actual uh, releases on, on physical copies through the years. And uh, Ocasek has always been really interesting to me as an artist and, and later as a producer. As I was, you know, coming up through college, he was producing a whole lot of stuff that I was really interested in. The band itself is... Uh, here's something that, that by listening to all of these albums in a bunch to get ready for the show that maybe isn't apparent on the surface. All of these five first uh, first five albums through Heartbeat City have very distinct personalities, I would say. I I think the, the you know, you think of the cars and sort of the power pop new wave sort of feel and yes, but I, I think all five of those albums really have a distinctive um Sound to them that you could kind of pick them one out from the other, which I don't. I don't know if people would would consider that to to be the case with the Cars albums, but 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 it is at least at least to my ears those first five albums, and then this unbelievable drop to Door to Door. Door to Door is one of the and we'll we'll talk at least briefly about this later. You know they they did the uh, the Heartbeat City which was massive. They had Greatest Hits album which was massive, and their very next album Door to Door didn't even go platinum, didn't spawn a hit, and the band was done. Door to Door is one of the strangest albums, I think, that I can I can think of, uh, at least in terms of a band's trajectory. And then they were done for 30 years or so.
2: <laughs> you know, a, a few other random thoughts there, too, is, is you know, now, now, like, I love the Cars, but the Cars are not one of my favorite bands. Yet, like, I think that that's true for a lot of people. Like, a lot of people love the Cars, and there aren't really that there aren't really any Cars haters out there, right? Like everybody who when the Cars are were such a feel good band, and they had so many people that really just like know their albums, very familiar with their catalog, but would never say like, "Well, the Cars was one of my top favorite bands of all time."
1: Wait, what was the, what was the joke that that the guy from Cheap Trick used to say about Cheap Trick that they're everybody's third favorite? Yes, band? <laughs> yes,
2: yeah. right, right. And uh, apparently, like the Cars, not a good live band, and. You know they they were pretty boring. Ocasic hated touring, and as part of you know, kind of familiarizing myself again with that era and their work, you go back and you watch their um, their live performance at Live Aid. Yes, not good. It's not bad. good at all.
0: And and Kevin, if you go back to the the, the very beginning, they were like decent live around seventy eight seventy nine. When they became chained to the sequencer you know where they couldn't do yeah. anything without those backing vocals having to rush in or if you watch some of the concerts from like 84 and 87 uh greg hawks the 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 uh, you know the keyboardist and the synthesizer player isn't playing half the time because all his stuff is already looped on a, on a sequencer and everyone's stiff as a board it's it's a very weird viewing to watch yeah. and in many cars, ways it didn't matter
2: because in fact Like, this is why their videos really became big hits, because... You know, directors would go and meet with these guys, right? A close-up of O. Kasich, and they'd think, okay, we have to think of other ways to bring the bring their songs to life beyond any just concert footage. You know, nobody was bragging back in the day, you know, I saw the Cars live at the Garden in 83, man. Like, I got the t-shirt. This was a band that was very much their identity was defined by videos, and that's why their videos are so popular. Yeah,
1: I mean, um, think of Andy Warhol starring in right. Andy Warhol's directed version of Hello Again, which is
2: actually a pretty great video it's just all of his like hot friends from the factory dancing <laughs> with pythons and stuff like that yeah and just a, another thing about their sound they are i think one of the most distinct features of the car sound was that they are they're one of the best bands at fusing all of their collective voices and ben Orr and Ocasic and and um you know david robinson greg hawks um they brought the background vocals and um, their collective voices it was almost like it was an instrument of their own and if you if you go, when i was going through it and i was listening to magic on heartbeat city or the opening notes of hello again and since you're gone they all have very and they have just incredible sequences where the band's voices together sound like an entirely new instrument in, and really did define the cars sound
3: we
1: I think that, that that takes us to the first album of theirs, which is, you know, just called The Cars, uh, which also I think the band always joked that it should be called The Cars Greatest Hits uh, because um, I was just talking about this on Twitter earlier today. Uh, is this not sneakily maybe one of the greatest debut albums of all time? Is this not as good as "Murmur" by REM or "Funeral" by Arcade Fire or "My Aim Is True" by Elvis Costello? I think it definitely ranks with all of them. I don't know that there is a single weak moment on this record, and uh, I will also say this: Roy Thomas Baker, my <laughs> least favorite producer, big name producer of all time. I guess that just sort of reveals how I'm not much of a Queen fan. But uh, this is certainly the best thing he ever produced. This is if if he's the guy who gave them the idea to. Get Get all that weird synth noise and all those really refined harmonies, then God bless him because it, he actually did something good for a band for once. Uh, this is uh, an album that is, again, it's almost comical how i knew it before i bought it because i got it and then i realized after listening to it it's like wait a second i know literally there there are um nine songs on the record and i'd known seven of them from radio play already <laughs> it's so compulsively like played on classic rock radio well, not even classic rock radio when i was younger this is just you know radio hits this is just like current and hot music this stuff is legendary i just almost find it to be a tragedy that people do not realize how great the cars debut album is
2: yeah i'd put it in my top 10 of best debut albums of all time um and you know the the cars now and even back then they were sort of heralded by critics as being one of the first sort of best bands to fuse rock and new wave um and the debut, though, is, I feel like it is more rock than it is new wave. And I think if you listen to the basics and, and just the fundamentals of each song on everything from the first notes of Good Times Roll to Just What I Needed, it's built on, 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 like a lot of the fundamentals of pure rock bass lines, big guitar hooks, driving melodies, with just the slightest pinch of new wave seasoning. Um, and there's that flavor of synthesizers. Um, just what I needed, you know, j- j- just as, a, as a, an example of that, it, it's an admitted ripoff of the opening from uh, Yummy, Yummy, Yummy by mm. the Ohio <laughs> Express. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that ended. ended <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it was the 1910 Ohio Fruit Gum Company. That's the name <laughs> of, the, of the band. I
1: can't even know that. I can't even <laughs> believe that I remember that. I'm ashamed of that. <laughs>
2: uh, but Ben Orr's bass is pretty great in that song. And um, I, I think even Orr, sa- can, you know, it does sound a little bit like. Kasich, um, in on that song. I mean, I, I think you know. You say that it's rock with new wave seasonings, but okay. For for
1: me, that the synthesizers on that song and all throughout this album. It's like the Sri Racha of seasonings. Like, I mean, it, it, it's an overwhelming flavor that ends up dominating everything else. So I get entirely why this feels like a new wave record because the sort of the icy clean sheen that the Cars get on this album, which would really kind of come to define their sound. That they would change it in different ways. These albums would all have different moods. But, you know, right from the beginning, what is the Cars' signature style? It's Hawks. It's it's Greg Hawks on those keyboards. And all those synthesizer tones For example, on Just What I Needed Great little rock tune But it's the That's what you remember yeah. From Just What I Needed You remember those crazy loopy synthesizers And the way it all comes crashing into the chorus I think you just what I needed And that's what makes it a classic <laughs> think that like, you know, Where did this band Where did this band Carve its niche It's really in that Use of synthesizer sounds Which kind of Marked them out As a slightly more Intellectual Or sort of Archly ironic And intelligent band Than a lot of their Competitors They weren't like You know Hyper detached And overly intellectual As we say Talking heads were But they also weren't Like you know Just a bashing them out Kind of a group They had this I guess maybe It comes from being A bunch of Bostonians You know You know A Boston band You know Playing for the college circuit and the kiddies those days i remember also being you know 35 years old or 34 years old and everyone else who's listening to your music is 18 you 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 get that ironic detachment and that that kind of comes through in the instrumental approach on the record
0: just what i needed is almost certainly my favorite car song I, i i just think it's absolutely perfect from from start to finish so so perfect it was a hit twice first for the cars and second for fountains of Wayne when they made Stacy's mom and as uh, our friend Christian Schneider points <laughs> out if you see the video for Stacy's mom it, it, it's it's not as if the guys didn't know what they were doing the two of the yeah. kids are dressed up like Rick and Ben the license plate says I love Rick it's it's clearly a, a, a pure cars homage but you know just what I needed from from Rob, uh, Robinson's sledgehammer snare hits at the at the start during the just after those uh, syncopated guitar riffs at, at the beginning I love I you know listening back to this I, I always think it's a faster song than it is, but I think beat-wise, it's, it's it's actually almost slow. It, it, there's this really neat push-pull between uh, Orr and Robinson setting down almost like a laconic rhythm, and then the synths and the guitar, uh, Elliot Easton threatening to speed out of control. I just love that sort of yin-yang to uh, to just what I needed. And um, the other song that I, I just love so much, Bye Bye Love, it's one of my favorite Cars songs, Uh, Or has the the lead on on Bye Bye Love. This is like a roller coaster ride of a song. So when you get to the end, there's that fanfare at the beginning that kind of comes back at the end to close things out. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm exhausted from listening from start to finish because there's so many twists and turns. That long outro where Easton and Hawks are kind of dueling and talking to each other. I love Robinson's uh, uh, drum fills after each bye-bye love. Um, and the way the song kind of rolls from the chorus right straight into the second verse. Substitution, mass confusion, clouds inside your head. I- great you're all i've got tonight how many bands have based their sound just off of that one song uh uh, smashing pumpkins and and uh, billy corgan huge fans of you're all i've got tonight that churning guitar riff the way those queen-esque backing vocals go ah and that build up to the final final chorus which uh which explodes the way the song ends with everyone shouting tonight and heck, I haven't even mentioned my best friend's girl, which Elliot Easton's guitar is just crazy good on. My best yes. friend's girl, uh, from this kind of honky tonk, flashes during the uh, the verses to the to the amazing solo. And the way that uh, k six sort of pilfers from the fifties—the uh, hey, my you know my best friend's dating my best girl—but but, but uh, brings it into the present of nineteen seventy-seven or so with uh, some of the, the the more advanced use of instrumentation uh, and, and the handclaps and a chug chug guitar riff. Uh, there's not a bad moment on this debut album, and I've I've long thought, long thought, it is one of the best debuts uh, of all time. Can I like just... that you said. Uh... Sorry, go ahead, Jeff.
2: No, no, no. You go first. I like that. Um, that Scott said uh, about um, the honky tonk uh, sort of style that my best friend's girl has. I think, you know, if you really listen to it closely, that was one of the things I noted, which is that it's got a rockabilly sort yes, of yes. sensibility to it with the country steel guitar solos.
3: Here she comes again.
2: And also, just talking about that 70s element, as much as the cars were sort of heralded for being new and having a new sort of twist on the music at that time, there is a lot of those late 70s influences here. I'm in touch with your world, does is not new wave as much as it's, it's a sort of influenced by Velvet Underground and it has like an art rock vibe to it. And then your life got it does, tonight. It does, it does a, have that candy says kind of a vibe. Yeah. And yeah. Your life got tonight starts off with a lot of the great elements of the late 70s rocks, kind of like almost kind of like kiss esque. Uh, and this thunder, thundering drum intro, edgy guitar. And then it just comes through with the cars vibe, which is just this tinge of synthesizers at the end. Can we talk for just a second about how incredible the
1: second half of this debut album is? (laughs) It's probably one of my single favorite sides of vinyl like from the entire post-punk, new wave era. Starting with You're All I've Got Tonight, Bye Bye Love, Moving in Stereo, and it ends with All Mixed Up. Those are four songs that are perfect. Those are four songs that there are no flaws on. There's no second that I would omit for them. There's no skip track. And, of course, it all climaxes in the middle with... You know, moving in stereo, which is gonna be on my top five at the end of this show. um That incredible, you know, loping. So again, you know, you know, Scott talking about how just what I needed is a slower song that he remembered it being. Well, well, moving in stereo makes no pretenses about it, just being this <laughs> this very kind of slow, you know, juggernaut of a song. You know, dun 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 dun. Da, 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 da. These the, the sound effects is the panning on the vocals you know like you know you you hear a, you know or in one ear and then he goes into the other ear it goes back and forth and of course you know it, it must be mentioned I even mentioned it in the introduction that everyone who's ever watched Fast Times at Ridgemont High will have an indelible memory burned into their brain about that song because it certainly is a part of a very memorable sequence involving <laughs> the, uh, the very young <laughs> (laughs) and very beautiful Phoebe Cates. god moving in this moving in stereo that fades into all mixed up which is a song that probably one of the very few that i didn't know before i got the album because it was one of the ones that didn't get like radio airplay but it's every bit as good it has that really desperate chorus pre chorus that builds into the the all mixed up chorus and i and i again th- this is the kind of thing where i just think to myself you know w- What happens when a band spends the first like three, four years of their life putting everything together and then they get the opportunity to finally create an album? That's exactly what happened to REM with Murmur. All right. And this is exactly what happened with the Cars. You've got. every single moment on this record is calibrated Mm -hmm. it's actually it's actually orchestrated there's there's nothing weak about this even the one that people sometimes like to dismiss which is uh you know i'm in touch with your world i like that one yeah I love that song. I love that song. I love the goofy synthesizer, bleepy bloopy stuff, and like the weird squalls of saxophone. Like I don't know if that was like you know Roy Thomas Baker's idea or if that was the band's idea. um but what a wonderful little addition to it, and it turns something that that sounds like it could be like as 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 Kevin said, like kind of like a weird velvety underground sort of velvet undergroundy kind of a thing into just like a really memorable moment of, like, suddenly we're kind of doing a cabaret thing here, and it works. There's nothing on this record that works. And the irony is that all of the really famous hit singles are on the first half of the album, but the second half of the album is even better than the first half of the album.
2: Everybody needs to own this record. Scott, do you want to go ahead? Because I'm going to fight just slightly on All Mixed Up.
0: Um, You know, I... Um, I'm in touch with your world. It reminds me a bit of Devo. Of course, this would be pre Devo yeah. in 1977. And and they would sort of explore that territory a bit more on, on future albums. I guess the only other thing I want to say is uh, A Good Times Roll, which we haven't mentioned yet. Um, the way that, you know, it's the first song, first album. So you set a tone. The way that that song starts, you know, Rick's vocal is kind of echoed and kind of shadowy on that very first verse. And then you get to that huge chorus and the very first time that you know trademark roy uh roy baker uh queen stack of vocals on good times roll like that's wow wow step back wow and of course it's kind of the irony which would be a a, a Cars hallmark the song called Good Times Roll sounds like not a lot of fun at all uh but you still love it you still love it <laughs> I
2: don't know I think all mix, I'm sorry all mixed up is the only bad track here mostly because to me ah. it just feels like a bit of an emo mess and you know the horns and the tuba trumpet whatever it is uh whatever that is that when they just kick in somewhere in the middle and they have that operatic backing vocals. I, I just, it, it just doesn't sound like a, a song that really kind of belongs on this album.
1: Kevin, you're a Wilco fan and you're telling me that you don't like songs <laughs> that sound like emo messes. i just like, I don't even understand where you're coming from here. I love, I, I understand where you're coming from actually, but no, I, 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 it's not a tuba. I know what you're talking about. It's, that low synthesizer that sounds like it could be like brass, but I 'm pretty sure it's a keyboard that's making that noise
2: because I don 't think the cars even had the money <laughs>
1: <laughs> to <That's laughs> <true. laughs> so, like, hire actual brass players if that was even their inclination
2: uh, but it was it, you know it was tough for me to to come up with something that i didn't like on this album, um, and and I think, but the the hardest part of breaking down this album is assessing which is the best song. I mean, if you listen to the first, if you listen to the first ten seconds of "Good Times Roll," "My Best Friend's Girl," and "Just What I Needed," um, and "You All I've Got Tonight," they're essentially the same song with the identical intro formula. Um, but I I, I got to go with "Just What I Needed" as the as the probably the most iconic representation of of the album and the Cars sound. Uh, since it just has that perfect blend of like clangy guitars and and that wheezy sort of synth uh, accompaniment, but all mixed up is the only one. And I'm glad it's at the end of the album. That way, I can listen to it the the, the first <laughs> not first eight perfect songs.
1: How um. dare you shut it off before that?
2: <laughs> ah. Hey, listen, if it's Wheezy Synth Sounds that you're talking
1: about, well, then that's no better way than to transition into the car's second album, Candy O, which, um, boy, a memorable album cover. Uh, I got to say, uh, they're definitely going for that, uh, that Playboy centerfold look. Um, but uh, what I mean when I say Wheezy Synth Sounds is that it opens with uh, a song that, in its own way, may be the most representative car song of mm. all time. Which is Let's Go. And it has that, that, that synth that goes wow, 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 wow. And by the time it's done, man, I'm just singing just along with them. I was like, I love the nightlife, baby. I mean, that is exactly where you, that song takes you. you. Let's go, let's get out, let's do that. And of course, it's got a little cynical and a little jaded twist to it because that's the cars. They're never going to let you quite off the hook with it. But this is an album that I think is excellent a lot of people say this is just as good as the first one i disagree i think that it's slightly weaker i think double life doesn't do a thing for me even though it was inexplicably released as a single um and i think that there are some stuff on the second half like uh night spots and you can't hold on too long that have never really made it for me Mm -hmm. but this is you know i'm interested in hearing actually scott's opinion when he talks about how these albums all have different moves for the most part i agree but this is the one that despite the fact that it opens with one of their truly iconic songs, which will make my top five at the end, uh, the one that sounds the closest to me, like they're just trying to imitate something that they had done before. It does have a little bit of that sort of sophomore jinx vibe to it, uh, even though it's still, you know, I'd say at least a B-level album. It's not like, you know, a bad record in any respect. And it has Let's Go, it has Dangerous Type, it has the title track, which I also really like as well. And I also have to point out that like Benjamin Orr, you know, Ben Orr, you know, you know, he didn't write any of these songs, but there's a reason that Rick put him in front of the microphone for all of the really important big hit singles, because the man, the man knew how to deliver them.
0: Candy O, um, the band wanted a bit rougher sound than the debut. Roy Thomas Baker is back to produce a bit uh, looser maybe in some places. Uh, I don't think there's any question that this is not as good as the debut. Of course, few things would be. Uh, especially just a year after uh, that, that first album came out, but the first two songs come pretty darn close. to tell you that um, uh, you mentioned the cover That's that 's David Robinson. he was kind of the uh, artistic director of the band, designing covers and in fact, choosing uh, the outfits for the first album when they were all decked out in red white and uh, red white, and black like uh, like the white stripes but uh, on let 's go, I want to make a, a point um, David Robinson came over from the modern lovers to to drum in the cars. And everything about the cars, I think Jeff was talking about this earlier, everything is so precise. Everything is so planned, everything in its place. But I got to tell you, nothing works unless uh, David Robinson is is exactly where he needs to be on the Mm -hmm. beat. And he's not the flashiest drummer in the world. But he is perfect for the cars because he is right where he needs to be. And I don't think there's a better example of that than Let's Go. Listen to Let's Go and just try to hear what David Robinson's doing. You know, that hi-hat, uh, the way he brings everything into the chorus. Those drums have to be just right for everything else to work the way it has to. And it's not easy. It's not easy to pull it off. He does it very well. Let's Go is a great song. Let's go.
1: that like, you know, Jerry Harrison wasn't the best and most flashy guitar keyboardist either but he was perfect for talking heads mm-hmm. and we, we, the reason I mention them is that Jerry Harrison is also an ex-member of the Modern yes. Lovers a band that was so far ahead of its time that they never made it but they bequeathed <laughs> their members to all these other great like new wave bands Harrison goes to Talking Heads you know, Robinson goes to yep. the Cars it's like yeah, I guess it's all the Harvard the Harvard-Boston connection <laughs> is why that happened right <laughs>
0: If you have the expanded version, uh, there's a monitor mix of Let's Go, which is before Ray, Ray Thomas Baker got his hands on it, and it's actually pretty cool to listen to, uh, how, how the band sounds, how or sounds before all those backing vocals gets thrown onto the track.
2: Yeah, it's such a great song. I love the lyric, uh, she's got wonderful eyes and a risque mouth. Um, and, you know, like most of their biggest hits, it's uh, it's a song that is full of very catchy observations but it's not very deep or personal. Jeff talked about this earlier. These aren't like, these aren't lyrics that are, um, you know, uh, that's, that's got you searching through the, the liner notes. Uh, instead, it's just a really great song. And, and you're right. I mean, the album overall, how it was received. The expectations could not have been higher when they released this back in 79 after um, their you know the, the, a six million uh copies of selling of their debut album and it was almost destined to underperform uh, but it really didn't i mean nope. I think it's it's not it's not their debut album but this was a this was both a critical and a commercial success i performed better than the debut album it did. actually yeah. in yeah. the charts got to number because, 3 i think yeah because back then you know no one devoured an entire album and you know they didn't agonize over every track like we like we are all doing here and, and let's go when it came out and it hit the radio um back then in 1979 it was the perfect hit to satiate music fans who wanted who waited for all, a year for more of that of uh, of that car sound that they got on the debut album?
0: I want to point it's all I can do, which uh, has always been one of my favorite tracks, and it was in the wedding singer. So now more people know it's all I can do. So it's it's not like a secret track anymore. It was a single anyway, but uh, that's just a great melody, very melancholy kind of melody. Uh, Benjamin Orr really nails the vocals, especially on on the chorus of it's all I can do. Uh, I love the way, again, we talk about how Thomas Baker produces and the way that the, those stacked vocals on It's All I Can Do cut very sharply just as the second verse begins. I, I love that. Uh, it's a trick they use a few times on songs uh, through the years. This is one of the, um, I don't know, lovelier sounding Cars tracks. I mean, it's it's, it's a very, uh, like I said, melancholy kind of song. I really like It's All yeah. I Can Do and the way that uh, the synth lines and Easton's choppy guitar kind of play off each other during the verses. It's all I- Candio is a great track. The title track, this kind of robotic guitar sound, a little darker, ominous. Uh, And Elliot Easton's solo is just technically great on Candio.
3: Candio, I need you so.
0: Uh, Dangerous Type, which is another one of the singles, uh, starts out with a bang a gong uh, kind of rip off on the uh, on, on the guitar track, and the the bottom end is doing a bit more work there on Dangerous Type. Ben bass really shines on on Dangerous Type. The way it builds to the, to the big crescendo to close out the album, everything, all the instruments, all mixed up, no pun intended. On dangerous type as Candio comes to a close uh, Jeff mentioned a few of the, uh, the album tracks that I actually I agree I don't think uh, they do quite as much for me as others du- one thing about Double Life um, is you can it's, it's strange where you find the car's influence paying off Double Life to me sounds like it could be a, a song that Spoon might have heard at some yeah. point and uh, it's sort of deconstructed and sparse and uh, may have influenced them a bit down the road
1: I mean, yeah, I just want to say one other thing about dangerous type. You know, you don't really talk about the cars that often for their lyrics, but there's always that one lyric and dangerous type that I've loved, which is a, was a museum directors with their high shaking heads. They kick the white shadows until they play dead. They want to crack your crossword smile oh, but can I take you out for a while? I mean, it, it, the idea that, like, you know, this is the, the girl moving among the high society types in the, uh, the boutiques, the art galleries in New York City, and, you know, they're all, like, fascinated by her, but, uh, oh, no, no, she's inaccessible. It's just a, a really nice portrait of, you know, the impossible woman, the impossible girl, which, of course, you know, as a young man, I was obsessed with until I finally snagged my impossible girl, and I guess now <laughs> I don't have to worry about that so much, anymore. Or
3: museum directors with eye shaking heads.
1: You know, yes, it's it's a great song. It's a great way to end the album. And this is, by the way, I want to say, you know, we're damning it with faint praise by saying that it's not as good as the first album. Because as Scott pointed out, what is as good as the first album?
2: Nothing. Impossible. Yeah, impossible expectations. Impossible.
1: You, you, expectations. you can't you can't beat that. And the reason I really want to draw that contrast is because their third album, Panorama. 1980 is the one that I actually do think is the the dip in their classic era, the one that I like the least. I wouldn't say it's a bad album, but it's the only album where the singles do absolutely nothing for me, and they never have done a damn thing for me. I don't like the title track. I don't like Touch and Go. I don't really like most of the stuff on the first side of this record. It's only on the second half, where it, it starts almost weirdly channeling that. It feels like that you know Ocasic has been listening to Echo and the Bunnymen's Crocodiles <laughs> and so you, you you get that same vibe that they would actually be pulling themselves on like Heaven Up Here which is not historically correct they can't actually have worked that way but they're kind of mining similar groups similar post-punk groups this is their artiest album mm-hmm. I think a lot of people like it like it for that reason um but for me, uh, the cars have always been about you know, you know hitting my dopamine receptors with those amazing hooks. And uh, this is the album that does the least of it. So although I like the, the artier moves on the second half, I like Misfit Kid, I like You Wear Those Eyes, I like Up and Down, um, most of the rest of this one leaves me fairly cold, Scott. This is this is your big moment to fly.
0: Yeah, I like um, I like Panorama clearly better than than you do, and I, I think perhaps more than some Cars fans. This is look. Yes, it's their artiest. It's probably the, the album that has the fewest hooks and maybe the, le- the the least melodic album in their catalog. It's much more kind of nervy uh, through through the tracks, and then you also have the introduction of synthesized drums. Uh, uh to david robertson uh, david robinson's uh repertoire which takes some of the swing out of it too and I, I i do agree panorama which is which was one of the singles for some reason and is the opening track on the album i don't uh, i don't like it very much it's long it's six minutes long there are a few tracks here that are four and a half, five, six minutes long on, on Panorama. It's an um, inexplicable choice.
1: I just don't know why they thought that was a single. The video sucks too.
0: Yeah. And there are better choices. I do like Touch and Go, uh, which was, I think the biggest single from the album, kind of the, I call them like the emergency vehicle synths, the dee, 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 dee. That that really nice galloping pre-chorus into into a big, large kind of sing-along chorus, backing vocals, touch and go. And, uh, Elliott Easton has a great guitar solo on on Touch and Go. I actually, do you guys know Elliott Easton had a solo album in the uh, in the mid eighties when they after they broke up no and so i always i always kind of picture yeah, i learned that today too i always kind of picture the pitch meeting at electra or i think it was at electra and it's like <laughs> all right you want to do a solo album great great you're in the cars yes i am all right so you're you're what you're rick Kasek. you're the guy who writes the songs and sings half of them really you know, the, in the blood blood of the of the band no that's that's not me oh you're, oh you're the other guy who also sings and is out front and plays bass that's you no, that's that's not me. Oh, wait, 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 wait! Oh, you're, man. you're the guy. You're the guy that makes the thing goes woo, 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 and then like the synths and that the, the signature sound. That's you, right? <laughs> no, that's that's not me. Well, what do you do? I uh, I play the the eight second solos you hear the really short ones. Uh that's me. All yeah, right, I, I guess I, I guess we'll give you a shot on the
1: album tracks that you never hear
0: <laughs> on the radio. So he had. A, I I have no idea if it's good or not, but that story kind of kind of is unfair because Elliot Easton is really a very good guitar player uh, yes. and knows exactly how to make the most of those 8 seconds or so that that Roccocase gives him to shine touch and go is one of those songs where he actually has an opportunity to stretch some space to work and it's a really great soaring guitar solo from from Easton on touch and go
1: It's like... Frippish, actually, is what it is. Well, which is the strange yeah. thing. It sounds like a Robert Fripp, guitar solo, and uh, you know, I guess that should be a total shock coming from a, a new wave band like The Cars, but it came out of nowhere. When I was like going through all this stuff again, I was like, "Whoa!" Not not they, quite as did much. Did they get him in to guest? And <laughs> they're like, "Nope, that's just Eastern."
0: Not quite as much as the, the solo on "Since You're Gone," which I think is super frippish.
1: Yeah, uh, again, same
2: yeah, thing.
0: But you uh,
1: know,
2: I, I couldn't help but wonder earlier. You know, uh, one of the features of the cars is like you never really heard any big gossip back in the day or or even since like as part of that exploring any history of the cars like they were never this big trouble band and they were never having these like typical rock star Fights with their record label about the direction that they wanted to take their music and whether it was going to be more commercial. Whereas the uh, the the record company wanted them to be commercial, and they wanted to be experimental. And do you know why that was? Is because they were older men at this point. Absolutely, is thirty seven. He's almost my age at that point. And they're thrilled that like you know they are the thing, right? Exactly. They're They're like millions. Yeah, I'm a rock star. Like, let's not not mess this up, people. (laughs) let's Let's not mess this up with a lot of arguing with record company right but but panorama for me feels like this is every band has their experimental phase and every band tests the sort of limits this is it and I just think it's a pretty forgettable album there's just I don't have much on this That really inspired me. Or if I, if I'm, you know, trying to get people into the cars, I wouldn't, I would not recommend Panorama that they start with Panorama. Or I wouldn't even have anything on there that I would recommend as like beyond like the hits. Here's a great song that really tells you about their signature, signature style. And I think critics crushed it and for good reason. But to Jeff's point, crazily enough, Panorama hit number five on the Billboard charts and it went platinum because they were so established, and people would come to them looking for uh, the the latest Cars album. Whether it produced any hits, this one did not. I think maybe maybe give me some slack and touch and go. You know, got somewhere in maybe the top fifty, but there's really not here that's mo- that's very memorable. Uh, uh, you know, to point to.
0: Let me I'll sell you on give me some slack, which uh, was a single. That's a good song, dancey. It's got a very tight, fast rhythm to it. Uh, these, these synth stabs that kind of sound like horns. It has a vaguely blondy t- uh, taste to it. I want
3: to save my LaGuardia, Magic Mountain the Sun. Train rides to the courtyard, before you can run. Down
0: I think the song right after that, too, Don't Tell Me No, uh, Ben Orr vocals, very moody and dark is a good one. Misfit Kid uh, sounds maybe the most like classic Cars. Uh, yeah, I uh, think that's maybe the reason I like it the yep. most. And yeah. then I think "Up and Down," which Jeff mentioned earlier, the, the final track on the album, is a really neat one, especially in the in the chorus when they're singing "Up and Down." The way the guitar is also going up and down, climbing and falling underneath the uh, the chorus of "Up and Down." We'll come on. This is one that I would not put my money on that I would like because of its reputation as being a little more arty and experimental, but I really do like it.
1: I mean, here's the hilarious thing, and I, I, it's not hilarious, but the, like, the wonderful thing about the cars in this era is that... You can listen to our opinions you know we're going back and forth is this is good is this bad is this under? i guarantee you you pick a panorama you have a taste for art rock or for new wave or for post for music of this era you're not going to be disappointed there's nothing here that's offensive i've heard really bad post punk music. I've heard <laughs> really bad new wave music. I will not name names right now because that would be rude. This stuff is all smart and thought out. It's just that it's, it maybe suffers in comparison to what came before and that what comes immediately after. For me, at least, what comes immediately after is their most underrated album because it's not the debut it doesn't have like you know a big hit like let's go on it and it's not heartbeat city which of course it was their most commercially successful record the next album is shake it up this is the last one that they did with roy thomas baker before they they sort of took a, a, a little break for a couple of years and you know did solo records that nobody bought um I love this record. I don't think there's a single bad song on this record. The one song that people are going to know, if they're at least of, of our age or older, they know Shake It Up. All right, You heard that on the radio. It's compulsive. It's got a really fun music video with a, a hot chick dressed in drag in the back of a car. <laughs> you've seen it. You've heard it. Since You're Gone might be just as good, but the thing about it is that the stuff that, isn't famous is just as good I do not think there are weak songs on mm. this victim of love is one of my favorite car songs mm. of all time all right you know it's, it's this long it, it, n- nothing in the car's discography is truly long they're not they're not spinning out close to the edge or anything like that but it's like you know it's four and a half minutes or something like that beautiful songs
3: and she won't let it go She'll make it that make starts
1: It's the the thing that concludes this album you know be my be my be my maybe baby I love that with the the relentless tribal drumming in the background and the bleepy bloop keys it's just everything the cars were meant to be musically There's nothing else on the record that ever lets it down. I almost wonder why this is like something that's fallen beneath the cracks. I think it just suffers from, you know, coming in between these two big stools like the beginning of their career and then like, you know, their big, you know, commercial success at the end of their functional career. Um, I really love Shake It Up. I hope that you guys can at least somewhat agree with me.
2: Yeah, I'm with you on it. I think it's, I would agree that it's, probably one of their most underrated um albums and i think since you're gone is probably their most underrated yes. probably one of their most underrated singles yes, um, I and love that is it. that's one of those songs where again the collectively like tuning their voices to be the instrument yeah. of their of its own really comes through and uh, interestingly enough shake it up the song the single that's their first top 10 single I think. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yep, yeah. yep, that makes sense. And if you think to, to if you think back to the fact that their their debut album is their greatest hits album and this is their first top 10, that's pretty interesting. And but this this album came out at a time where new wave, so we're we're talking 1981, new wave has gone mainstream, MTV is eras is, is beginning to go into full swing. Um and it this is is um you know this their their song is starting to define a lot of other bands as well the other thing i'd say that's interesting about it is it has a lot of 1950s elements in it it's got the kind of carnival keyboard on a couple of songs it's got a lot of you know do ra do ra do run run right. kind of lyrics on <laughs> like, cruiser uh, and victim of love yeah, no, yeah i know yeah. yeah yeah and even like even in the shake it up video um Uh, you know, driving around with the top down, uh, it's got a little bit of a A bit of the American graffiti thing. Yeah. 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 But it's a very good album. I, I, this was one of the songs when I think the reason I was revisiting the cars, um, uh, all of their stuff was was like when I you know put out on Twitter, you know, name the top five uh, best debut albums of all time. And you go back and you listen to the cars and you revisit all of their uh, their entire catalog. Um, this was a this was an album that I really enjoyed uh, going through again. Uh,
0: by the way, uh, thanks for mentioning that. Don't forget to follow Kevin on Twitter at uh, Kevin Madden, D.C. for his Saturday morning music questions. Uh, very fun game that we play. Um, so I, I'll shake it up. I'll start by saying Since You're Gone is outstanding. I was asked, I was doing an interview about Rico Kasich in the the cars after he passed, and the question, what's your favorite Rico Kasich vocal song? And I had to think, because most of my favorites are Ben Orr, you know, just what I needed and and Bye Bye Love, and I I said, shake it up, or I said, Since You're Gone, I should say. And uh, man, that's a great song, that that metronomic clapping, snapping that starts it off, and the the neat thing is, that doesn't go away. Uh, That sticks around through the song, I love that. Um, and 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 the vocal, you know, you're so treacherous. Like like Dylan might have might have delivered that line. Where's that tenderness? And that, that again, that f- very frippy uh, Eastern solo on "Since You're Gone." I just, it's one of my favorite Cars songs.
3: Yeah. Go!
0: Here's where I push back a bit. I'm not a big Shake It Up fan, not the song, but the album uh, uh, as a whole. Since you're going Shake It Up, and I actually like I'm Not The One quite a bit. A solid ballad. Listen, by by now they're kind of, not full-blown, but entering the, the, the point where, you know, that that's just a sequenced song with some tasteful Easton guitar licks in places, but a very mechanical backbeat. But I like it. Uh, really fine melody. And it's one of the ballads that Rick ends up singing. Ben Orr sometimes gets the, the slower song. I like I'm Not The One. The it's just a well-written song.
1: And, yes. and, that's, and maybe that is the, you know, the thing about O. Kasich is that if, if the concept is there with his songwriting, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day you know, if the drums are synthesized or not. The song holds up.
3: I'm not the one Who's coming back for more Been through this too many times. You It's mine. never mind. Going round, round.
1: and and that that's actually something that's going to come in when we talk about the next album but I'm sorry to
0: interrupt no yeah but the rest of the album sounds to me like um what did I say? like rejected songs from the first two albums like b-sides outtakes that are sort of shined up for 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 this fourth album the the the, the rhythms are very straightforward very locked in less experimental certainly than panorama um, you know, there's a, there's a more solid base to some of these tracks, but they don't resonate with me like they should. Victim of Love, I, I can see why you like it, but on, you know, to my ear, it's almost like a boilerplate. Like, if you were to write a car song and you weren't in the Cars, that's kind of what you'd write. Like, this sounds like the Cars should sound. Man, that's um, a burn. A victim of Love. Um, A Dream Away, A Dream Away, I actually kind of like, um, very flat delivery on the vocal, uh, very mesmerizing beat, uh, but Cruiser again doesn't do much for me. Most of the album tracks, past those first three, just leave me kind of cold. It's not terrible, but they kind of feel like second-rate songs—songs uh, songs that were left uh, taken from the back of the uh, of the cupboard to sort of fill out, shake it up—and I don't think that's true. Um, except that actually Shake It Up is They worked on Shake It Up Forever It's kind of like the old Start Me Up uh, story With the Stones Where they had one take Where it made sense They worked on Shake It Up Forever And they finally had one good take And it's the one that became a big hit
1: It's funny like you know, They they, they worried the song over so much And then ultimately What re- it gets a- gets released Sounds incredibly simple yeah. and, and like elemental But like You know what Sometimes you need a lot of time To remember that <laughs> You know You just gotta go back to the basics Shake It Up
3: Shake it up, shake it up, shake it up. You dance all night, you get real goose You don't need no bad excuse. You dance all night with anyone. Don't let nobody pick your phone Shake it up,
2: shake it up. It's weird, you know, O. Kasich said that he, uh, when I was, you know, kind of doing some of the research in the background on how they came about, some of these songs, he, he did not like the, he's not, he said he was not proud of the Shake It Up lyrics. I think he knew he had a hit, he knew it was a really good song, he knew it was catchy, he knew it was going to help sell the album, but this was not a big, um, one, of the, one of O. Kasich's favorite songs by the Cars.
1: Well, you know what? I, every now and then, you just have to put out, you know, a piece. Your of, shiny happy people. <laughs> your shiny happy people, and you know, by the way, secret confession: I've always secretly kind of liked shiny happy people. <laughs> oh no! I know. I know. I'm not supposed to. You see them like dancing. You know, like that stupid REM video where they're all dancing, and you can almost see like there are Muppets in the background or something like that. Yes, the cars shake it up is their version of that, but it's still a darn good song. What happens next is, of course, that after all this this incredible success and this, this commercial success uh, they decide that they're all sick of one another obviously this is a, you know, a standard band dynamic talking heads did the same thing right around this time they took a lot of time off uh, the three years practically and they finally only came back in 1984 with an album they had jettisoned Roy Thomas Baker as producer they say you know what go back to working with Queen We no longer need you. We're going to get the new hotness. That new hotness was none other than Mr. Shania Twain himself, Mutt Lang, um, who's a producer that people have sharp opinions on. Disagree with strong. Such a great name, though. (laughs) You know what? I wish my parents had had the foresight to name me Mutt Mutt Lang. (laughs) <laughs> Mutt Blair. Yeah, I would have been I would have been a lot cooler in high school if they had done that. But no, no. Mutt Lang produces this record. Uh this is like kind of early in his career. Uh he's been coming off of the this is a huge success on Back in Black and yep. stuff like that. And uh in Pyromania. He, in pyromania by Def Leppard of all not one of my favorite albums but it certainly you can't argue with the amount of units it shifted um, and so what you get is heartbeat city in 1984 it has both scott and i have already mentioned this is the this is the album that introduced so many people to the cars especially if you're coming from our era. This is chronologically based right because you know we were just born in 1980 so this was the big one this is the one with all the big videos this is the one with so many hit singles and songs that are played in the prom and i know that scott is about to say something deeply heretical When I finish this introduction, he's going to say that he is not a fan of the production of this album. And I will say that if you're going to have an album that sounds quintessentially 1980s, please, God, let it be the car's heartbeat city, because that is the kind of 1980s that I want to hear.
0: Man, I don't like the production on this album. Um, Jeff, you were right. I just this is a weird one for me because again it's the first one that I was uh, was uh, exposed to from the car so I kind of have a built-in love for it and I think it's a really strong batch of songs from Oasis I really do uh, the time off served him well but I can't get past some of the uh, some of the mutt production. Now, it's not to say it doesn't work in places. I I think "Hello Again" is a really brilliantly produced track. Uh, from from the beginning, where they where they sing themselves in, which just sounds like Def Leppard. I mean, a lot of the backing vocals here would be things he would repeat on Hysteria a few years later. In fact, he told Def Leppard he could not produce Hysteria because he was busy doing uh, Heartbeat City. And Def Leppard took so much time doing Hysteria that he was able to join them and finish it off. <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: Uh, but on Hello the Again... The
1: keyboards on that song, by the way. The ridiculous yes. 80s keyboards. I love it every but, second of
0: it. Yeah, I, I don't mind it on Hello Again. It's one of my favorite tracks uh, on this album. It's, it's a nice kind of modern rock, new wave. They would open shows on the tour... With Hello Again. Uh, Rick's vocal performance, little kind of hiccups and ticks. Really, really good. Not one note, not one word out of place. Well, you take the the perfectionist that is Rico Kasich, uh, with the way he designs his songs, and you take the uber-professionalist that is Mutt Lang, who takes, you know, three weeks to get one bass line from Ben Orr right on one song, and that's, Heartbeat City sounds like that way. It sounds like everything is so thought, uh, almost overthought in places, I think. That's um, the
1: same I, objection that XTC had to them when, when he produced This Is Pop for That them. makes sense. It's like, you know, they'd already done it on their first album, and they re-recorded it for a single version, and they hated working with him because he was just <laughs> so <laughs> anal retentive about, like, snare hit goes here, yes. tom hit goes here, keyboard strike goes there, do it again, do it again, 108 yes. takes.
0: But when it works, it works. I mean, look, I'm not denying Hello Again. No one can deny Magic. What a beautiful summer song. Rick Okasek, you know, walking on water in the pool in the video. Those power chords and the chugging rhythm and the the backing, you know... uh, uh-oh, it's
1: magic It's <laughs> Orioles magic I just have to point this out For all those kids yeah. Who grew up in the, in the Maryland, D.C. Virginia area In the 1980s That was the Orioles theme song This is right after They won the World Series In 1983 I don't know That's a pretty Localized reference But yes That's how I first Heard that song
0: got to love you might think look what's not there's this you know bubbly bass from Ben Orr that that chiming organ uh as a as kind of hard edge guitar drive i mean Weezer covered this song for actually the Cars 2 soundtrack i know that because i have kids and um and and did a good job with it, clearly. But the, the original is is really nice. It's the other, you know, Stranger Eyes. This album track sounds uh, kind of like almost Duran Duran ish in my mind. Uh, it's not. The night has this like like almost fake sense of urgency to it. Uh, man, it just sounds so plastic in places, and and really, they were hardly a band by this point in the in the recording sense. They they weren't in the same room. They were, you know, Mutt Lang was taking piece by piece. There's no live drumming in this album, or virtually no live drumming. It's all pieced together and, and sequenced. And uh, as strong as the songs are at times, I just cannot get over that uh, when it comes to Heartbeat City. So what's, what's wrong with
2: Duran Duran? I, mean, <laughs> I
1: just got to say, it.
2: I'm sorry, but yeah, Kevin, sorry. For cutting so, you off. No, So uh, we'll get to Duran Duran at another point. But uh, so the, what I love about this album is, you know, um, Scott said it's very plastic. Well, let's go back to 1984. What I love about this album is how representative, it is of the era of music that it was produced in and then how well it stands up. So first, you know, let's go back to 1984. Um, you couldn't go to an ice rink, an arcade, a school dance, a pizza place, a mall without hearing all of the best songs from this album. And I, I think, I personally alone, I wore out about two cassettes of this album. <laughs> and I love the Mutt Lang um, production because I, I was a huge Def Leppard fan back then, too. I mean, this was right after Pyromania. Pyromania came out in like 1983. Yep. Um, this came out in 84. And, you know, e- the, you know, Hello Again, just the opening sound of Hello Again it sounds like a Def Leppard song. Absolutely. Right? And... Also, Mutt Lang, he also produced, yeah, you said ACDC. Also, he produced Foreigner. You go and you look. Foreigner 4. Yeah, and you listen to It's Not the Night. That's a Foreigner song. And those that Pyromania, Foreigner and and Heartbeat City are totally representative of the plastic era that was 1984. Um, Magic is a phenomenal song. It's definitely one of my top five favorite songs. Um, By the way, Jeff, you mentioned the video. You go back and watch that video I did last night and prep for this uh, for this podcast. It is the cheesiest thing you've ever (laughs) seen.
1: I I watched. I watched it this morning, actually, like right before I went to work. Yeah, like like the weird people in the background that Rick is walking
2: The weird people in the background. I just can't. I just can't imagine how they must have been so excited. These like B actors, struggling actors, all serving as like background people in this. uh, The background crowd in this really cheesy video i have no idea what rick ocasek is doing with his hands while he's singing <laughs> <laughs> but when i w- i remember that video as being awesome i couldn't get enough of it back then i had no idea it was this it was this bad <laughs> but anyway a great great song one of their i one of one of their best the the other the most important song on the album drive this is the car's biggest hit right i think it peaked at number 3 written by ocasek sung by um or of course but it is a very on cars like "Song," in that it's a ballad, and or actually has w- w- what I think I would describe as is you know a very polished vocal styling. It's very it's very mm-hmm. smooth here. It's almost it's almost like a, f- a Fergal Sharky type croon. And um, Lang I think imports a lot of a bit of foreigner in this song as well. And I could see like you know the, listening to Scott talk about how everything had to be just right. It sounds like they really went for perfection on drive. Um, you might think another classic, probably one of the most easily recognized car songs across generations uh and as uh, obviously it's better known for for its its music video. I still can't believe that this bill beat out. Michael Jackson's thriller. I think it costs like $80,000 <laughs> to thriller's $500. I think thriller cost a, half a million dollars.
1: I mean, it. I can't, even, you might think it should have cost like 10 bucks. I mean, the, the, you go back and you look at the completely cheesy CGI and that thing. By the way, the, back backstory you laugh.
2: Back, the backstory on it was that it was inspired by, do you remember the cheesy National Enquirer commercials? Oh, yes, yes. Like, yeah. they, in order to try and get people to, like, oh, this week, princess die and Charles are fighting. And they would show these, these little, like, 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 uh, like posterized, like heads on, uh, yes. on drawn bodies that was what it was inspired by. And you go back and you look at at the video and you're like, oh yeah, it totally looks like a National Enquirer commercial.
1: And then the best part is right at the end, like Rico Casick removes his face and just a (laughs) bunch of water comes pouring out of it. So you're left with that like weird horror image that stayed with me throughout my entire freaking childhood. That, that where he just rips off his face and just water pours down. I just, this is like one of these random notes. It's like, I had nightmares and dreams about that. (laughs) I've had them even to this day. I am a married man with a child. I still have that dream. (laughs) And it's all because
2: of the You Might Think music video. Who was the big budget director that directed Thriller? John Landis. Who John was, Landis right John, La- John Landis supposed to have been beside himself that he lost to a $60,000 computer generated commercial by the cars yeah
1: well that's what he gets for killing Vic Morrow and
2: some Vietnamese
1: people. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, my pity is limited <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it is still you know what the thing about it is that the cheesiness is part of its appeal that's it's, it's exactly like my point yeah. where like you know you see like Rico Kasich in like a tiny little computer sports car just driving up the bed Towards the woman, I mean that she's flattened—it's just like the like eighty CGI. Yeah, the, the 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 other one that it puts me in mind of, of course, is uh, Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. Another yes. similar like early experiment. That was high computer. tech back then. That was high mm-hmm. tech. very high tech, right? Very high tech. But like you know, this is like state of the art silliness, and that's the thing about it. I think that's why it won because it was silly. And that wasn't why, some sort of serious thing. It was just complete goofiness. And it was playing on the fact that Rick Casey does kind of look like a creepy stalker. <laughs>
2: so and that is why, that's why. And that's, and that's a, I think, a testament on Heartbreak City overall, Heartbeat City overall, and why it was so great is 1984, kids. This was representative of exactly. It captured everything about 1984. But you kept, kept it going, going till the sun, the sun fell down. down. You kept, you kept it. it going.
1: You've really covered everything i wanted to say about this you've talked about hello again you've talked about magic you talked about you might think i mean so i i don't really have that much to add except for this that i will insist and i know it's very uncharacteristic for the cars as kevin just pointed out drive may be my favorite song by the cars and i say that fully aware of the fact that yeah it doesn't sound like just what i needed it doesn't sound like let's go. It Doesn't sound like their early, sort of you know new wave avant you know post punk sound. It's straight up eighties ballad. You would hear it in a playlist. You sequenced it right behind you know Tom Waits singing uh, you know I ain't missing you at all, missing you. You know it's exactly. In fact, I think on the tape that I had from my dad, the music videotape, this is the sequence that it was. But there is something to me that is just absolutely unremovably beautiful about that song and it it isn't just the music which is you know tasteful for the 80s it does have those 80s synth sounds the do 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 and i'm sure that's exactly what scott hates about it you know those those (laughs) plinky plonky 80s synthesizer sounds right i don't mind that kind of a thing um what i really like is the the subtlety of the lyric. Again, this is not something that people usually give credit to Rick Ocasek for, or The Cars, but there's something about that that it, everybody knows, and they've known it in, in experience with someone who's a friend, who's someone who you know, they're um, you know, a lover, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, or whatever. That you know, who's going to drive you home tonight? You know, who's going to pick you up when you fall? who's going to hang it up when you call who's going to hold you down when you shake or come around when you break simple stuff but also kind of profoundly smart in the way that it boils down a lot of really complex emotional feelings into a simple song that it, it has almost a, like a zen quality to it it's like it's like a zen koan it, it just gets its point across. And I think the other thing that I have to admit is that the video is is pretty indelible for me as well, with uh Paulina Poroskova, none other than the the uh, famous at future, that time Future Mrs. O'Kasick. Future Mrs. <laughs> Rick O'Kasick, exactly. They met when they were filming that video and then they got married and had kids. And everyone is like, you know, this is this is one of the great success stories of life because if you look like Rick O'Kasick and you're also like secretly 40 years old and you can marry polita boriskova <laughs> then you are really doing things right it's like billy joe and christy brinkley that kind of you know like a, a a bizarre ugly man uh but with musical talent matched to an incredibly beautiful woman um but yeah that that video is great director of the that. video the, who, who wait who was the director timothy, timothy hutton. hutton timothy yeah. hutton the actor timothy hutton yeah Yep, uh, from uh, was, it, was it was it ordinary people? That's or,
2: right. Yeah, he, he's, he's been a lot. Falcon and the Snowman—that's one of my favorite. Timothy Hudman or the
1: or the Dark Half, the Stephen King adaptation. The <laughs> Mediocre 1993 Stephen King adaptation.
2: But Scott, Scott, you probably know the backstory. Apparently, he
0: lived. He lived near, next door. He lived next door or the next apartment over to band's manager, or somebody. Yeah, and they were listening to uh, to like rough cuts of uh, of the of the album of Heartbeat City, and and he said, you know, I've. Re- I uh, really got this idea take it to Ocasek and see what he thinks of it he had this idea for you know eventually what would make it onto. And he uh, wanted to
2: get into directing video. and this was yeah. a way to break
0: into it and I, I mean I it's, yes. it's a
1: really powerful video it's like she's, she's she plays like you're not sure if she's like in an insane asylum or if she's just in a bad relationship but she's like really losing it and she's actually very expressive you know she's a model but she actually does really good in the video and it's just in you know, Ocasek is just standing there completely stone faced because <laughs> you know, he's Rick Ocasek creepy stalker um, it's, it's a great video and it's a fantastic song I remember talking about it the other day and, and someone came in and said like that was everybody's prom song in 1984 and you know can you blame them
0: Move the band would make would be to break up. Well, not break up. Hiatus, right? Uh, Benjamin Orr has a solo album. Rick okasic makes a solo album, and around this time, a greatest hits album comes out, sells extremely well, uh, including one uh, new song or one new single at least. Tonight she comes, which is which actually, is kind of a disappointment. Really, I like it a lot.
1: <laughs> I like it somewhat. I just, I always feel like it's going for a big hook that it never quite gets
0: to. Uh, Easton solo is one of his very best, uh, just diving and soaring in all the right places. I like tonight she comes. So we disagree again. She gives me- brings us to uh the next album and again i i don't have virtually anything to say about door to door because other than it is one of the weirdest albums in terms of timing in terms of results in terms of sales all of it and then of course then that was it they 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 broke up after door to door in 1987 no big single they went on this tour and again uh, as kevin said earlier if you see tour footage from 87 it's just uh it's, I don't want to say it's sad, but, uh, it, it's not fun to watch. Uh, it's sad. It's, it's what it
2: is. It is. Yeah, i I mean, I'll say this about door to door. I'll try to be charitable here. I really like the cover art on the album. <laughs> 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 so when, when you, when, when that's the best part, like opening up, like taking it out of the album, uh, you know, sheet, like that's about it. Like it's, it's a totally forgettable album. I think. It's the last gasp of a band that had really just come to the end of the road. And it's it's really not their fault. I mean, if you think this, so Door to Door came out in 1987. Just think about what was happening in music in 1987. Guns and Roses is the biggest band in the world. Whitney
1: Houston is climbing the pop charts. I mean, there's like, yeah, yeah there's like completely different
2: strands this going to- in totally different directions. This total alternative underground right out of LA. Like Jane's Addiction is releasing their debut. REM is what's driving, um, uh, college radio college ride, audiences. Yeah. The cults, she sells sanctuary. It's like the biggest dance record in the country. Um, You know, it was just this was an album that was totally out of step then and it doesn't even hold up looking back. I mean, double Double Trouble is probably the perfect example of what's what makes this a a forgettable album is that it sounds like something that was like written for the high school band in an eighties teen movie to sing at the prom scene (laughs) that is inevitably in every eighties every eighties movie. And, And it's just it's a totally forgettable album with just no real redeemable or 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 uh, noteworthy songs
1: yeah i mean it's my only comment is that it's almost inexplicable crap um which is that uh you know heartbeat city was so great even on their down moments panorama not a huge fan of it but there's real talent there there's real music there this one is uh creative exhaustion yeah, yeah it's, it's completely understandable. This is why it, they folded it. Happens. It, it happens. I, I mean, it's also telling that like, you know, like they actually had to revive songs from their earliest yes. phase
0: of their career. Yeah, at least two of them.
1: Yeah, two of them like "Leave or Stay" and then was, you know, Away They're not good songs. <laughs> they don't sound good. I mean, maybe I I've heard the demo versions. The demos are better. The 1977 versions of these songs are better than the 1987 versions of these songs, which is the real damning thing that you can say about Door to Door.
0: After Door to Door clunked in the sales realm, uh, the cars broke up and would stay that way for quite some time. Rick Ocasek would say over and over he was not interested in reforming. He was he had a couple of solo albums, nothing uh, nothing huge. He found a lot of success as a producer, uh, specifically with Weezer, where he produced the Blue album and the Green album, and one other uh, with Guided by Voices, with No Doubt, uh, part of Rock Steady. Uh, Possum Dixon is a neat band that I liked. Uh, the album was called New Sheets from like '98 that uh, that Rick O'Kasik produced, and uh, found a lot of uh, success producing, and also in the record business. He worked for Electra as an A and R guy for for a while. So, around, I'm going to get the year wrong. I don't have it in front of me. But, uh, you know, the other guys in the band, they didn't write the songs, they weren't making royalties. They'd like to play those songs again. Rico Kasik not interested. And in, uh, we should also mention, of course, uh, Benjamin Orr dies of cancer in
1: pancreatic cancer. Just a, the yeah. worst thing, you know. I mean, there's nothing you can, you know. You, there, you, I mean, I'll tell you this. This is a sad thing to say, but you know, I think there are certain kind of cancers where, like, okay, you earned it from your bad lifestyle choices, like lung cancer. You shouldn't have smoked. Pancreatic cancer. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, ugh, it's the worst.
0: So that was 2000 that Ben Orr passed away. And and I think the band was still looking to do something. And Rico Kasich, we didn't want to do it for whatever reasons. And so you had two members of the band, uh, Greg Hawks on the keyboards, Elliot Easton on guitars. So you know what? The new cars. We're going to do it with Todd Rundgren and Prairie Prince on drums and call ourselves the new cars, which is kind of ballsy, guys, because Rico Kasich is the cars. I I mean, (laughs) he wrote all the songs. not, Not like most, like. He wrote every single song. So to kind of say, yeah, we're just the new cars with Todd Rundgren. Well, uh,
1: Greg half
0: wrote wrote, some
1: of the songs. Half wrote moving (laughs) in stereo.
0: Right, right. Um, and if you've heard the new Cars album, I mean, the less said, the better. There's a single called "Not Tonight," which is vaguely catchy, but upon just like one repeat listen, falls apart completely. At least in we my mind, we will
1: not be excerpting it tonight.
0: No, no. <laughs> uh, but they toured, and I, 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 you know, perhaps generated a little more interest in in the old Cars, so to speak. I don't know. And a few years pass after that, they, they just did It was just a one off, and all of a sudden. We're we're talking about new cars music, guys, and, and there's an album called Move Like This in twenty eleven with uh with all the original members, of course, without without Benjamin Orr, but Rico Kasich's back. He's writing songs. Uh there had kind of been a uh, a power pop revival. Stacy's mom had been a hit in the interim as well. And uh I don't know, guys. Move like this. It's,
1: pretty it's a darn, genuine shocker
0: to me. It's this pretty, one's pretty darn decent. Really good. Uh, sad song is great. Blue tip is a really good song. Um, it's, Keep on knocking is good. Yeah, I
1: mean, just they're just. Here's the thing, and I was actually just running my theory by Scott before we started the show, which is that in 2010, which is when this album was put together and came out, you know, at that point, all these old nostalgia bands they don't reunite. Uh, unless they actually have something to say. They don't have – they're not going to put out a new album of original material unless they actually have something that they feel is worth recording and putting down because you know what? There's really no money in it. There's no money in releasing original albums anymore. The money is all in touring. The money is all in, you know, you know, going out there and hitting the bricks because the, you know, the music industry as we know it collapsed somewhere around the Napster era. And so that's a decent sign that these guys might have had something interesting to listen to. And it actually comes through. Now when you hear a move like this, you're not gonna hear like them suddenly taking it to a new level it's not like all of a sudden they're doing sowing the seeds of love by <laughs> tears for fears or anything like that they're not going to their sergeant peppers era which you hear is classic cars classic cars around that sort of panorama shake it up you know heartbeat city era and it, it sounds like the old stuff but not in a derivative way or a stupid way it just sounds like you're you know some guys playing in a studio not a lot of trickery not a lot of like you know uh, phonied up stuff in fact the sequencing seems to be gone for the most part even though I know that they you know I don't, I, I know that they, they did some tricks to record the bass on this because it's of course Ben Or was dead yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, it's a surprisingly good album and I usually have nothing good to say about these revival nostalgia <laughs> album acts this and like that Black Crow's final album where like the ones where I was like shocked, they actually like put it together and gave you something that was worth hearing.
2: Look, I think it, it misses or, right? That's a big part of it. Um I think it's it's his I, I, voice is really missed. His voice, yeah. his bass. I mean that's a that's a sort of partnership that really just did define the car's sound. So it was really kind of a cars minus sound. But I, I am I'm glad that people liked it and like most importantly, I think the the fact that it introduced so many new listeners to the the classics um you know the, the 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 old cars catalog which is just um which is just so great and and you know you if you invent a, f- a few new younger cars uh listeners from a new generation then i then i think it's a success
0: the the, the live performances just off kevin's point that about or you know the the, the performances on you know leno and all those places it's just, it's just like, I don't know, it's spooky, but you really feel he's missing, right? It, it, there's no basis. They didn't replace him, except at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, the, the bassist from Weezer played with them. But on this tour for uh, uh, for, uh, for a move like this, they, they didn't replace him. The, the bass parts were done, you know, via sequencing and via Hawks on organ. And you really, I mean, I really miss him. It's just, it's just very apparent that something's missing from those live performances, though it is good to hear those songs again being played live. So it's a little kind of strange. And unfortunately, that's the last we're ever going to hear about the cars. Yeah, the the last live performance period was at the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, um, where they did uh, they did uh, Best Friends Girl, and I probably did at least one other one. I don't know. I know my Best Friends Girl is out there if you want to see it on um, YouTube. But that was the final Cars performance. Unless, unless guys. I, I think Todd Rundgren's available and... Uh, uh, no. No? No? Okay. <laughs> no, okay. okay.
1: No, no more new old cars.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that <laughs> will do it for our look at the cars here on Political Beats. Kevin Madden, our guest. Find him on Twitter at DC, Executive Vice President, Arnold Ventures, Republican strategist and, uh, and cars fan. And now we come to the part of the episode where all of us give our two albums that you should own and five songs you just have to hear from our band, the cars kevin the floor is yours
2: so um obviously the 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 two albums that you have to have i you have to start with their greatest hits album their debut album the cars by the cars uh just an extraordinary um of kind of like you know we were all saying it's got to be in your top five or top ten best debut albums of all time and really just has so many iconic tunes and melodies and hooks in there um that uh really have uh, just like uh, defined a sound of a, of the 1980s but also really endure today uh and they sound fresh even if you listen to them today heartbeat city this is the zenith for the cars it's an absolute classic um again one hit after the other a lot more modernized and polished than um their debut album but just a phenomenal album um that uh is a must listen my top five songs, I'm going to go in descending order. Uh, number five, Since You're Gone. Uh, number four, you might think. Number three, the Baltimore Orioles theme song, Magic. <laughs> um, my yeah. best friend's girl comes in at number two. Uh, number two. And at number one, the most iconic song, the song that I think defines the car sound just what i needed those are my top five
0: all right looking at uh my albums uh certainly the the, the debut the cars it, it is their best album and again one of the best debut albums of all time there is nothing out of place there is no there's no let up there's nothing you won't want to listen to on the cars the second one for me was tougher i made my uh objections to heartbeat city known and shake it up and so I am gonna say I, I no one else will second this, but the panorama look it's the cars at their most experimental. it's a little different from what the other albums put forward and and not just that, I do think it's good uh so the cars and and, and panorama song wise um, man, there are so many great hooks and melodies you can pick five uh from the first album that might be might be my two favorite cars songs period, just what I needed. And Bye Bye Love. I just love Bye Bye Love. Uh, Candy O from the, the second album, Candy O. And um, um, yes, yeah, Since You're Gone from Shake It Up, I think is, again, maybe it's my favorite Rick Casic vocal performance, Since You're Gone. And from um, from Heartbeat City, I will put Hello again on there as well. Uh, the, the album, of course, is, uh, I'm not a fan of the production on all of it, but I think that what Lang did with hello again, works very well. It's a, it's a nice start to heartbeat city. Those are my five over to you, Jeff.
1: Well, I mean, I would be perverse and stupid if I I pretended that the cars isn't obviously one of the top two (laughs) albums. Uh, We all agree on this and and everybody at this point, you know, listening to this show, getting to this point in the show, if you haven't already gone out and listened to this album, then what the heck is wrong with you? Um, I do also like the fact that completely organically, this is not, you know, uh, we did not arrange this in advance. We've all chosen different records for our second one. Uh, Scott, you chose Panorama, and uh, you know, Kevin chose Heartbeat City, but I'm going to go with Shake It Up, (laughs) because I think that that is actually sort of like, you know, their great kind of like pure smooth pop record, you know, uh, new wave avant pop record, and I think there isn't a weak song on it. I love a lot of the stuff from all of the rest of their records, but that one is, you know, holds up to me as an entirety in a way that the others don't quite. Now are five songs? Well, <clears throat> good luck. And of course it, they called it the Car's Greatest Hits as a joke, so like, what which songs do you choose from the debut album? For me, I'm going to agree with you, Scott, and i say Bye Bye Love is one of my top five as well. The other one that I would pick is Moving in Stereo. That just giant oceanic riff is just that, you know, they never did anything quite like that ever again. Actually, that's the interesting thing about it is that the you don't have that slow, you know, juggernaut groove in a car song at any other point in their career. I think my third one would be "Let's Go" off of uh, Candy uh, How can you deny that incredible, you know, uh, wank wank synthesizer riff and the uh, you know the the sort of <laughs> you know unmediated joy of saying that I like the nightlife, baby. Um, Speaking of Baby, I think the the fourth one I would pick is Maybe Baby. It's the last song off of Shake It Up. This is an album that's very even and in fact in many ways but I, I i like victim of love i like uh cruiser i like shake it up i like you know the one you guys have all ma- mentioned is the one that i'm going to sort of leave untouched because i'd rather just focus on that last track which to me sums up all of the virtues of uh, one of their most underrated records and then i'm going to end with uh one i'm a little surprised that hasn't been mentioned yet which is i think it, it Emotionally for me at least Is my favorite car song of all time And that's Drive Who's going to drive you home tonight You know Who's going to take you home You know At the end of a long night when your heart has been broken when your expectations have been let down and uh you know yeah i almost imagine it's like the end of a really disappointing homecoming dance or a prom like the makeup <laughs> is smeared you know the hair is a little bit mussed up the flowers are wilted yeah it didn't turn out the way it was supposed to but there's still somebody who's going to drive you home at the end of the night, because that's a friend. And, uh, and it's a very emotionally powerful song. It always meant a lot to me as a child, and it still means something to me today, even as an old man, a man who just turned two days ago, turned 39, I might point out, which is uh, a naked confession that I only can admit because it was already admitted to, to people in public on Twitter.
3: <laughs> who's going to hold it down?
1: When you.
2: young man yeah i know, Made, I know I, Yeah, all great choices maybe baby is the one i'm most surprised by yeah well i mean i just sure. think
1: that's such an even album and that's yeah. the one that grabbed me when i was going back and listening to it again
0: there's the political Beats look at the work of the cars our thanks to kevin madden find him on twitter at kevin madden dc uh, executive vice president of arnold ventures and republican strategist kevin thank you for your return engagement on political beats
2: Thank you so much for having me. And don't forget those Saturday morning music questions. They're they're fun. Uh, That is a great, great way to learn about people's favorite music. I've found so many great tunes by having Political Beats um, Twitter followers uh, weigh in on those different questions. And I can't thank you guys enough for being here. It's always
0: a pleasure and a lot of fun. Thanks, Kevin. Jeff Blair. Find him on Twitter at EsotericCD. Jeff. We will see you again soon. And
1: unfortunately, every day I get older and slower.
0: <laughs> and uh, my name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. Subscribe to our feed, new episodes, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or NationalReview.com. Listen, enjoy, share, leave reviews, please. Find us on Twitter. We interact there at Political underscore Beats. This has been a presentation of National Review. This has is Political Beats.